0: Online, on Radio Player, and on 106.6 FM. This... Is Wickham Sound.
1: This is Mimi Harko and you're listening to Mimi Meets. And as with every week, I like to bring you some very special guests, and this week is absolutely no different. So this week my very special guest is a gentleman by the name of Philip Cripps. Now Cripps I think is a very it's a very unusual name. It's a very, very unusual name. I know one other person by that name, so we'll talk about that as well in a minute. But Philip is um here to celebrate 50 years of Tameside International. Um, 50th anniversary, that's amazing. Well, welcome to the studios, Philip. It's lovely to have you as a guest. Thank you, Mimi. And tell us a little bit about Tameside International.
0: Well, by definition, we are uh, an international management consultancy. But we do differ from many other organisations in a variety of ways. Uh, First and foremost, we only work with one company in an industry or market sector at a time gosh. So never working with companies that are directly competitive to one another. Okay. Secondly, our relationships with our clients are very long. Average contractual length is six years. Longest running contract lasted 34 years.
1: Good heavens. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And at the time that I've been with a company, we've never lost one contract, which means we are delivering the results that clients are looking for.
1: So how does it actually work? I mean, if you're dealing with one person or one company within the sector... And is that just within any sector, or can you have several clients from several different sectors?
0: Yes, we work across the whole of business and industry. So from service industries right up to advanced technology. The work that we do with them varies, of course, enormously. There is what I would call the pure consultancy, which is providing things like strategic advice, helping them on their organisational development, uh, through to the development of the people themselves. And that can be from everyone from the chairman and chief executive down and across the company, regardless of the departmental function.
1: I mean, I know myself, um, I, I don't work for a big firm, but I work for a number of voluntary organisations. Um, I, I appreciate the fact that some training in how you work and how you get the best out of your workforce, if you like, is actually quite a good thing to have. Um, I mean, would you agree with that?
0: Well, in today's market, it's not just good, it's essential. Mm. However, and there is a qualification to that, and that is that the training has to be absolutely pertinent to the organisation and its objectives. It also should take into account the objectives of the individuals.
1: So from your point of view, then, when, when somebody approaches you and says, we would like some help, what would, if you like, um, egg them on? What would inspire them to actually say, actually, we better get some help in?
0: okay there are a variety of motivations for people Um, one of the most common motivations is where the organization says that we don't believe that we're performing as effectively as we could do now that doesn't mean to say that results are bad necessarily they can be okay but there is sort of this feeling well we could do better and then the question comes how yep that's where we come in,
1: and that's where you, and how do they know how to turn or where to turn? That's the other question because I mean you mentioned that you were management consultants. that is a very, very big, wide um generic term it is and there are an awful lot of people who come under that umbrella, if you like. So how do they know to turn to you?
0: Well, if you look at the way in which we generate business ourselves, Mm -hmm. there are two methods. One is whereby we approach companies that we've researched extremely carefully to identify where there may be an opportunity to provide practical assistance. And the second, and the more powerful of the two, is the recommendations we get. Because having been around for 50 years, we have got a lot of clients that have gone on to different roles and different companies. And, of course, they seek to take us with them.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm quite fascinated by you saying that you do a lot of research yourself and then you approach a company. So have any of them ever been offended approaching us? What on earth for? We're fine.
0: (laughs) Every business has to sell its services. So they have to sell their services. So when we approach them, my approach is always to say, you need to market yourself, that's exactly what we're doing.
1: But their reception of that in general, I mean, is it easy to get into those companies? Because I know from working in sales jobs myself, because it is at the end of the day, you're selling yourself in order to go in and, and achieve that client, if you like, to get that business in for, you, for your firm. Um, so I know myself that if you approach somebody on the cold call, as it were, it's actually quite, I find cold calling horrible I really don't like it I've never liked it
0: well first and foremost we don't do cold calling okay okay we warm the prospect up <laughs> okay
1: Love it. now how do we do that yeah how?
0: we the first and foremost I think again I need to say that our first contact is always the chief executive or managing director of a business mm-hmm. now when we are aiming for that person that you don't make a cold telephone call so I, as chief executive of our company, write to that individual. And I do choose a letter, not an email, mm-hmm. because the letter will land on the desk yes. and it will get opened. Now, that letter will contain key points relating to his business, which will convey accurately that we understand the issues that he's facing.
1: And when you're putting that letter together and you're looking for that key information, where do you find it?
0: Industry sources. Yep. Government sources, competitors, websites. There's a variety of ways in which you can research an organisation to find the things that are holding their business back there. So you've got to strike the right note in that letter. And to give you an indication of our success at that, for every 10 letters that I have sent out over the last, say, five to six years, Mm -hmm. I average six appointments.
1: That's amazing. I mean, that really is a fantastic conversion rate. Yeah, oh, that's fantastic. No, and out of those six appointments, how many, how many would you sort of sign up as on a long-term contract?
0: It then reduces to around one and a half to two on average. And the reason for that is that when you get into an organisation, you may find that what their problems are are not ones that we can address. Right. So we may have to walk away from it. There may be an issue of timing as well. They may be saying, yeah, we'd love to do something. However, the timing is wrong for the following reasons. So it does reduce but one and a half to two is a, is the is the
1: average that's quite i mean that's quite a great great hit actually and i know that from doing surveys and getting people to respond to various things from working in local government for 20 plus years Um, I know that that is actually quite a decent, that's a decent response, Philip.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we're we're pleased with it. We don't need to get a huge number of new contracts each year because we retain our client relationships. Typically, as a team, we will need six to eight new contracts a year. That's all. Mm-hmm. Because we have over 60 ongoing contracts.
1: Right, but all in different sectors. All
0: in different sectors and around the world mm-hmm. because we are an international company.
1: Mm-hmm. Is that why you've got that wonderful suntan? <laughs> Could be. <laughs> I had to say that you look as if you've just come fresh off holiday. Okay. <laughs> so when we, how big is your team by the way at Thameside?
0: We have a large consultancy team of over, over 60 consultants. Uh-huh. And they're based they, they they live all around the, the UK. But they work, uh, they can work in Europe, they can work in America, wherever the prospect of opportunity lies. Mm -hmm. That's the key thing. And our client base, of course, varies in terms of its size. Um, There there are some clients that we work with that are relatively small in terms of numbers of people, but they're specialists in their market. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got companies like Compass, which is the world's largest food service company with over 240,000 employees.
1: Wow. Okay, let's take Compass. How would you approach a company like Compass and looking at 240,000 employees all over the world, how would you actually chunk that down, if you like, into into bite-sized pieces that you could actually tackle whatever it is you're going to be tackling with them?
0: Well, if we go back to something I referred to just a little while earlier, it was recommendation. Yeah. Now, we have been working with Compass in the United States now for over 15 years The chief operating officer there is a person that I have worked with for all of those 15 years and beyond because when he first started in management and it was a long time ago when he became a line manager, his company invested in our services. Mm -hmm. I work with that gentleman. His name is Rick. I work with him to train and develop him. I have worked with him consistently as he's made his way up to chief operating officer of what is now the ninth largest company in the world.
1: Amazing. And that training, is it things like um, leadership, for example?
0: It will vary according to the individual. You know, with, with someone like Rick, for example, we are working with him to develop his commercial skills, his financial skills, his people management skills. It varies. Now, what he's done, is said, look, I have benefited from the work that you have done with me personally. I want to cascade that down through my team. So over the last 15 years, I personally have worked with all of his senior management team across all of the divisions in the United States. And we continue to do that. The trouble is, of course, it does become very personal. Uh And that means that he says to me, well, I, I know you've got great members of your team. However... You know us and you know me.
1: Yeah. And that's how it goes. That's how it goes. That's amazing. That is really lovely, actually. It's good to have that sort of insight into um, how these things work. So if somebody was listening to this at the moment, they thought, hmm, what qualifications do you need to do your job?
0: It's a very good question and a very important factor as well. Every Everyone of our team has been a main board director in a PLC or a very large private company. And that means they walk the talk because when you're talking to chief executives of companies, one of the first questions they ask you is, "Okay, so where were you working prior to joining Thameside?" Now, if you come from an academic background, it's interesting, but it's not practical as far as they're concerned. They want people who have been there and done it. They've seen the problems. They've had to wrestle with the challenges that business faces today.
1: I mean, I find that fascinating, actually, because... When we normally talk about um, entry level into jobs, um, what it sounds like to me, you know, is that we're actually looking at people who've been somewhere, done something, have experience, um, who might then think, well, I want to go into another phase of my life now. Um, I've worked in, let's say, GE Healthcare for 25 years. um, And I I fancy a change. And I just pull them out of the air purely because they're one of our great local businesses. Yep. Um, and, um, And I fancy a change maybe I could do this? Is that is that, is that is that the sort of mindset you're looking for?
0: There are two types of people that join our company. Mm. There are people that come into the category you've just described. Mm-hmm. So what they're looking for is a, a role where they can use their experience mm-hmm. and they can pass that on to other people there uh, and do that for a period of time, mm-hmm. say five to ten years. The other group that join us are people who are coming up. They are still in their thirties generally, thirties and forties there. They've held very senior management positions, but they want now to get more experience of different industries, so that they can then go back after a period of time, maybe four or five years, to go back into a chairmanship role or to be CEO of a very large PLC.
1: Right, okay, so that, that, that actually explains quite a lot. So it's quite a big spectrum there, really, of opportunity.
0: It is, and we're approached by many people To join our company, we are not looking for anyone, you know, currently, for example, because our team tend to stay with us Mm -hmm. there. But, you know, we're always keen if people say, "Okay, can I send you my CV? Can I come and talk to you about what I could offer? Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that because there may be an opportunity just around the corner.
1: My special guest today is Philip Cripps, in case you're wondering who I'm speaking to. Philip is a management consultant for a firm called Thameside International who are celebrating 50 years of being in business. It's fantastic. How did you get involved, Philip? I mean, what's your background?
0: Well, I started my business career with Canberra's. Oh, yum. Yes, yes.
1: (laughs) Do you still have affiliations there? (laughs) Mm. Well, we should have met a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) I had
0: six great years at Canvas and the person that regretted me leaving the company most was my (laughs) father-in-law because (laughs) his supply of chocolate ended.
1: Indeed, indeed, absolutely.
0: They were a great company because you had the opportunity there to as a management trainee to work around the business in lots of different departments. I think I worked in every department in Bourneville, the head office in Birmingham. Mm -hmm. And other than HR, I didn't work in HR, which of course in those days was called personnel. Of course, yes, yes
1: yes, indeed.
0: And then I moved on to join the newspaper industry. And I had, again, a very long period with an organization called the Thompson Organization. Mm -hmm. And they Ran newspapers all around the world. They were at that time. Any
1: titles that we know?
0: Yes, the Times, the Sunday Times.
1: No, I worked for them. That was my first career. That was my first ever real job in the real big grown-up world. I worked for the Times and Sunday Times, and it was during those awful strikes. Ah. Yes, and we were picked up. We got um, information the day before. We got a telephone call to say which station to head for that day or the following day to be picked up for work. Right. And we'd have great big coaches waiting for us to take us through the picket lines. It was... Um, hmm.
0: <laughs> Newspapers were, were challenging. It, they were extremely exciting at mm-hmm. that time because you were at the forefront of news. Everything changed there. And, and I it worked, was
1: the only way people got their news in those days. It was. Yeah.
0: It was. And you were selling thousands and mm. thousands of copies. That has changed dramatically. Of
1: or course. hasn't? It's so sad, actually, looking at the demise of um, newspapers. Yes, because they are declining. We can't deny it. It's not a, you know, it's not an unprovable fact. It's a fact, which is why they're all sort of trying to get online and do other things to sort of get their profile up in in that respect. But that's a shame. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah I was at, with them at a time when it, it was a constantly vibrant organisation. Exciting. There. Uh, very exciting. Uh, after a period with them a long period with them i changed completely and i moved to the huge brewery and hotels group bass plc mm-hmm. and i joined initially their subsidiary canada dry
1: oh yum i remember that well yes <laughs> <laughs>
0: and worked at very senior management level there uh, within the organization i had again a, a thoroughly enjoyable time But I realized at one point when I was working there that although I was a main board director, I wasn't running my own business. And that was one of the things that I'd set as a personal objective. Mm -hmm. And I thought, how am I going to do that? Now, I happened to be talking with a couple of my very close friends at that time. They were from different backgrounds. One had worked as uh, the UK's general manager for Hoover. One had been a main board director in a huge pharmaceutical company. And we, as we talked, we realized that we had a lot of experience and there was a lot of expertise that we could share. And um, hey, how about starting afresh? So, Thameside was already established. Right. And we took that over.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, Thameside International, in its format, as you might see today, was born there. Amazing. Yep.
1: Amazing. Absolutely brilliant. So when you took that on, I mean, that's quite a a big move.
0: It was a very big move. It was a dramatic change for me. One of the things that, for me, did dramatise it was the fact that when I was at Bass, I had huge amounts of resources around me to support me. You know, you had all the trappings, you had the office, you had the car, etc., and then as one of my colleagues said to me, he said, now, Philip, you're putting on the postage stamps.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that is the biggest change, isn't it, when you start working for yourself?
0: Yes, to move from a corporate life yes. to, a, at that time, a very small company. Yeah. There. But it didn't put deter me at all, didn't uh, I? I wanted exciting. to. exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Mm. Uh, I had uh, some great people working with me and uh, we thoroughly enjoyed it and the company has grown since then mm. however it's changed significantly as the market has
1: indeed and that is something actually we could explore a little bit because I was uh, writing a little speech for something I'm doing later on and one of the things that occurred to me was that the organization that I'm going to be um, doing the honors for shall we say it was born 99 years ago and 99 years ago we didn't have a fraction of what is at our fingertips now. And 99 years ago, we didn't even have the freedom of movement that we have today, let alone the internet, you know, emails and, you know, being able to communicate with people in in seconds rather than having to write a letter, put it in an envelope and send it off and hope it gets there. Yep. You know, stick a stamp on it. It's changed hugely. So how has it changed for you?
0: We've seen the most dramatic change in attitudes and practices in terms of training people. If you go back 30 or 40 years, companies used to fulfill their training responsibility. But what they would typically do is they'd say, oh, well, I'll send John away on a five-day course. And John would go away and he'd tuck himself in a hotel somewhere or he might go to a management college and he'd be away for a whole week. That doesn't happen today.
1: Mm, So what does happen today?
0: Companies are much more focused on getting a return on their investment from any expenditure they make in developing their people. So one of the things we find is that we design programs now that are very focused on key issues there. And whatever the program may be, for example, if it is, it does include a workshop, that workshop will be very short in duration. Typically nowadays, two days, Mm -hmm. not five. Mm -hmm. People don't go away. Companies do not allow people to be away from the working Place mm. for that length of time.
1: Yes, it's become quite ruthless, hasn't it?
0: Yeah. The other element that has grown dramatically is the personal coaching that we have introduced with within our clients. Clients are very concerned about not treating people as a generic group, mm-hmm. but saying, "Okay, John is not the same as Fred, and Fred is not the same as Jill. So, how can you help them on a one-to-one basis?" And a lot of our team do a lot of one-to-one coaching to right. those people. Now that can deliver some very substantial changes in attitudes, and then behavior, and then results.
1: How beneficial for everybody, yep. amazing. Yep. One of the things that I've noticed is it's quite obvious when somebody has had some very focused training, how it changes their outlook, and their input, and subsequently their output as well. Yeah, it, it most
0: certainly does. Again, going back in time, 30, 40 years, training was almost given as a reward. Today it isn't. Mm. It's given as an essential, but it has to deliver a return on investment. You know, more and more of our clients are saying, how can we measure the results that we're getting from this? Mm. And that's one of the elements that make us different because we offer a guarantee of satisfaction. If we, When we start on a contract, we set measurable outcomes if we don't achieve those measurable outcomes we'll return all fees right and there are few if any consultancies that which we are aware that do exactly that
1: i was going to say i've not quite heard of that one myself (laughs) and when
0: when we introduced it we introduced it about uh, 25 years ago Uh, i know a number of my colleagues said well this is a bit risky philip isn't it i said what's the risk you know we know we can produce results we know we're not going to be there if for the short term. We're there for the long term. Mm. So there isn't a risk.
1: So when you're dealing with people, when you're going through the, f- the phases of training, etc., yes, you might have the CEO of the company, but do you work with any of the people right at the bottom of the of the ladder, if you like?
0: Our main focus is on helping the managers and the supervisors to d- develop their skills to develop their people. Mm-hmm. Right. If you... There is a danger that if you move too far down in the organisation, there, what you are almost allowing managers to do is to abdicate their responsibility.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Right, so let, let's sense. develop them. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense because you're developing them to recognise talent within their own workforce and to help them to rise and and go you know go up the ladder and join the upper ranks, if you like, within the firm. Does that is that um, yeah. a fair description? Yeah.
0: I mean, our corporate theme is developing people to develop companies. Mm-hmm. So we want to develop those directors and those managers and those supervisors to develop their people. Mm-hmm. And that grows the business.
1: So looking at company development, um, 50 years ago, what was that all about? And what is it like today?
0: Company development has changed, yeah. Uh, 50 years ago, the... A lot of companies said that what makes us different is our product. Our product. Our product is unique. It is distinct. It is the one and only. Today, Mimi, that's a hard one to say because more and more products are similar. Yes. Technology has allowed companies to produce products and deliver services that are similar. So when you analyze it today, the biggest difference in any company is the people. If you can develop those people to be more effective at their roles, then you will sustain the business and you'll grow it.
1: And I love the fact that you say that it's the people for the simple reason we're now entering a world of artificial intelligence where we're being told that people will no longer matter and that jobs are going to be taken over by robots and machines. How does that fit into your plan?
0: (laughs) Uh, Artificial intelligence is gathering pace. And we see that in our client companies. And they're doing at the moment what I call functional jobs. Right? Now, that gives the opportunity for the individuals in the organization to use their intellectual ability right, to develop new processes, new systems, new procedures, new products. It is about inspiring people to use their minds. That's it. There'll always be a need, though, for people.
1: I agree with you because I, I, you cannot take, I feel, the emotion out of a business because if there is no emotion, what drives it? Mm. You've got ab- to have that passion, surely. I would
0: agree entirely. In fact, I was having a conversation with my wife the other day and she happened to say to me, she said, you know, there's going to come a time where we're going to go to a restaurant and we're going to be served by a robot.
1: <laughs> oh, I hope not. My <laughs> I, I said, I won't to be
0: in that restaurant.
1: <laughs> you don't have to tip them then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. People want service from people.
1: Yes, they do. And people want service from people who know what they're doing and who understand what they're doing and who are happy to be doing what they're doing.
0: Correct. And that happiness comes from their managers understanding individuals' motivations and responding to it positively.
1: Yes, absolutely. Philip, we've talked about some really, I mean, really, really deep stuff sort of topics here we've really looked into what this is all about how you go in and help businesses to thrive survive to grow to improve to get the best out of themselves and their workforce so you carry that great big burden on your shoulders all the time and on top of all of that you've managed to find the time to write a book so tell us a little bit about this book it's called management in a minute it is that sounds really snappy
0: (laughs) that's the aim in fact Yeah, my my first business book was written over 20 years ago called Developing People to Develop Companies. And if you contrast that with management in a minute, you will see they are dramatically different. I've written for today's generation Mm -hmm. of manager. Uh, Today's generation wants to learn, but they have this desire to learn really quickly. So if you look at an example of how communication has changed, 20 years ago, if you wrote a book, you wrote with very long, heavy chapters, a lot of theories, a lot of examples, mm. etc. The average reader today won't do that. They mm. won't read that. So what they want is bite-sized chunks. So what I've decided to do was to write a book that focuses on how you can become a more effective manager in just one minute. And I've written a series of messages. So every technique is a practical, proven And powerful technique that you can read in one minute, you can digest it, and you can apply it. And there are hundreds of techniques in the book there.
1: So give us an example of something that our listeners can literally take on board right now and do something and change something in their life.
0: All right. Everyone in life, whether they're a business person or a private person, has to influence people, has to persuade people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, one of the things that people can do very, very quickly to change their communication style is to eliminate negative words and phrases from their vocabulary. So a classic example of that is the phrase, to be honest. Yep. (laughs) Now, if you use the phrase, to be honest, it suggests to anyone that's listening to you that that you've been lying.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Right?
0: And if it becomes a habit, people pick it up and say, I don't trust this person. Now, when you make someone aware that they've got a habit like that, which is a negative one there, what they should do is drop it.
1: Not so easy, though, is it? Not so easy. In fact,
0: what happens is it mutates. And people, instead of saying to be honest, they say things like to be completely honest, (laughs) to be totally honest, (laughs) to be absolutely honest. I'd like to be honest if I can be honest. Which is now compounding the yes, problem.
1: Yes, yes, I can see that. <laughs> All right.
0: So these are communication phrases that you can get rid of from your vocabulary. But there are lots of examples in the book there of how you can build your communication skills and therefore influence as a manager the people who work with and for you.
1: Okay, so I'm looking through some of the um, segments in here, and I'm going to call them segments because they are one-minute segments. They are, one minute. Because if you think of a chapter, you think of reams and reams and reams of writing and advice and, as you say, the theory and all the rest of it. But these are just little quick snapshots. So there's one here. Uh, which I thought was lovely, and I thought how effectively do you answer people's questions, which of course is completely relevant in the world that I occupy, (laughs) because we're always accused of not answering the question. (laughs) So what does that cover?
0: The natural tendency for most people is that when they're asked a question, they immediately want to give a reply. Now, the danger associated with that is this. There are five factors that influence your choice of answer. So the first thing is this: check the meaning of the question because very often you're asked the question and you don't know exactly what the person means. Good advice. Number two, what's the motive for the question? Sometimes you're asked the question but no one explains the because word. Because I am asking you this because. So you need to identify the motive because if you don't know the motive you're bound to give the wrong reply.
1: Very interesting. Never thought of it in that way. Thirdly, how
0: important is the question? Now, when you listen to someone asking you a question, what's the intonation they use? They can ask you a question and it could be quite casual, which suggests that it's not necessarily important and could be perhaps deferred. But if someone raises their voice, then that's suggesting they want an answer now. You still need to check meaning, still need to check motive. So we have three factors. Yep. The fourth one is Timing. Mm -hmm. There are so many people in life who give half an answer. And you hear them all the time, such as, Bill, I'm not entirely sure, but I think. Mm -hmm. Well, you're already saying, I don't know. So how is your answer going to be credible? And the fifth factor is location, where you give an answer. Because there are occasions where location can work directly against you. So you need to think about, is this the right place to give an answer? And maybe you have to, because the subject may be sensitive, say to the person who's asking you the question, Jim, let's just leave that. Go to your office. We'll talk about that in more detail.
1: Wow. That is truly food for thought.
0: Five factors.
1: I had no idea. I've never thought of it in that way. I've never analysed it in that way. So having heard what you've just said there and listened, (laughs) so this isn't then aimed just at people in senior management positions this could actually benefit an awful lot of people in just everyday life
0: it can it's aimed at yes senior managers it's aimed at people going into management for the very first time mm-hmm. it's aimed at people who've been in management for a while and unfortunately have developed a lot of necessary well negative attitudes and negative behaviors mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. and it can be used by us in our day-to-day life when Managing the relationship we have with our family and friends
1: absolutely because I'm looking at some of the um, some of the again Snapshot here on delegation Mm -hmm. how useful to be able to delegate successfully without feet that the other person feeling they've been put upon Yep. Amazing. And there's
0: a big difference between delegation, abdication, and giving out jobs. <laughs> they are not the same things.
1: <laughs> you and I must speak more often. I love the way you speak. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. And there's another one here. Role playing is not play acting. That's interesting. What does that mean exactly? Because that's exactly what I thought it was.
0: Most of us have heard the, the, the saying, practice makes perfect. Mm-hmm. Right? I, many years ago, I asked someone... To find out who had actually created the phrase "practice makes perfect," and a young lady said to me, "I'll find out for you, Philip." And she did. She said it's Greek in origin, comes, it's over a thousand years old allegedly. So, and then she said to me, "You know, Philip, you asked me to find out who created it. What was the reason?" I said, "Because I want to punch him on the nose." (laughs) And she said, "Why?" I said, "Because it's not correct. Practice." doesn't make perfect mm-hmm. if you practice something you already do badly yep. you just do it badly more often yeah practice and analysis helps to make you more effective and that's what role playing is about it's analyzing how you do something and unless you analyze it to identify your strengths and your shortcomings you're never going to get any better
1: that is a completely different way of thinking i mean you've completely set me down another sort of path here my mind is now racing on all these different subject matters and thinking, actually, what does he really mean by that? Okay. Uh, which is fantastic. I love it. I mm. think it's brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. So if somebody is listening to this conversation and they want to get hold of a copy, where can they do that?
0: They can get it from Amazon mm-hmm. in paperback, hardback, or as an ebook. They can get it from here in Waterstones in High Wycombe. Right. amazing or they can get it from the Marlowe bookshop mm-hmm. or they can get it from the henley bookshop mm-hmm. it's available worldwide
1: indeed it's amazing it's called management in a minute and of course it's written by my special guest today and that's philip Cripps. and uh, i have to say to you even if it's something that you read just to help you in your everyday life um, i like this do you understand the difference between attitude and personality never thought about it in those terms yeah. i can see a thousand and one ways in which that would be a very useful thing to understand Yep. very and i should have had those skills last night actually i could have used them <laughs> okay we won't go into that now so this wonderful book i would advise i mean if you if you've got uh, young people in your life who are just literally about to start on a fantastic job in management and you or, you've, or you want to inspire them or you want to change the way because i'm looking at this and i'm thinking this will change me I'm not in senior management. This will change me. There are lots of things here that I would benefit from understanding and learning. So I think it's a book for everybody. I really do. Um, So if you want it, it's Management in a Minute. It's written by my guest, Philip Cripps, and it's available... In all sorts of places. You can even go in and buy a physical copy of it in your local bookshop. You can Here in Wickham. So go out and get it. It's a great gift for somebody as well. So having carried these burdens, when you go into all these different companies, you have this burden of, you know, what's going on. You have the woes of their world on your shoulders. So how do you, you, Philip, how do you get rid of that burden? And how do you relax? What is your thing to unwind and chill and, and find yourself, shall we say? And come away from all of that, yes Sport Sport, okay S-
0: Sport is the way in which I do it
1: Okay, so what do you play?
0: Well, I play tennis regularly mm-hmm. But my main passion is water skiing Oh, wow yeah. <laughs> I, I
1: wasn't expecting that one <laughs> no,
0: In the season, April through to October uh-huh. I'm skiing four stroke five days a week Right I have skied at national level uh-huh. Wow And uh, slalom There. Amazing and I love it. I love it. I love the thrill. Uh, I love the physical energy that you use there. You know, Your com-
1: eyes are sparkling as you're talking about yep. it. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's, it's an it's amazing sport. Mm-hmm. You know, people come down to the club where I'm based and they see people ski. And if they see the top skiers, and we have some extremely good skiers at the club, then they look at it and say, oh, I'd like to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, are we how allowed to know How long does, does it take?
1: Are we allowed to know the name of the club?
0: Yeah, we're based. I'm based at uh, High Five in Reading. Mm-hmm. There, that's a professional club, so it's open all the time. There, there's some great coaches there to teach people to come down there, and it is one of the uh, my main passions.
1: Oh wow, that's really yeah. lovely. No, you are, you've literally lit up as you're talking about it. So that's your main thing. And, yep. and and you've got family?
0: I have. yeah. yeah. I have two daughters mm-hmm. and I have four grandchildren. Oh,
1: how lovely. And yeah. how old are they? Uh, 14 through to 8. How wonderful. Just that really lovely age where you yep. can do things with them. Yep. And are they interested in your passions as well? Your
0: they are very I- interested, yeah.
1: Unfortunately, <clears throat>
0: it's an extremely expensive passion. So my um, son-in-laws are not too keen <laughs> on their children <laughs> getting into water skiing (laughs) because uh, water and boats and things like that they're all very very expensive indeed
1: they are indeed they are but how fabulous and as i said earlier um you look as if you've just stepped off off a plane from a holiday but this is all the work you do everywhere and this must be from your water skiing as well because you're out in the elements all the time
0: yes yeah we we had a fantastic time the last week of course it's been amazing it has the water's actually warmed up wow
1: which is (laughs) great Absolutely yeah. brilliant. So, and 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 the future. What are you, what are your sort of plans for the future? Where do you think this is all going?
0: Well, I want to continue doing uh, what I'm doing now, mm-hmm. uh, provided three things apply. Firstly, that my clients continue to derive benefit from the input that I give. Secondly, that my team appreciate my help and assistance. And thirdly, that my wife agrees
1: with it. (laughs) Very important, that final one. Yeah. Very, very important. Philip, we've come to the end of our hour. It's incredible how fast that has flown. Um, It's sped by. (laughs) Philip, it's been a joy and a pleasure to have you on the show today. It's been fascinating finding out about your business. It's been even more fascinating looking into the thought process that goes behind what you do. Um, You've certainly got me thinking and given me plenty, plenty of food for thought. I absolutely recommend to everybody to go out and get this book. It applies, I think, just to us mere mortals who are not management (laughs) because we're all managing something somewhere in our lives we well,
0: are managing ourselves we
1: are managing ourselves and it's called management in a minute it's written by my guest philip Cripps, and you can get it online and you can get it physically if you walk into waterstones in high wickham as well or any bookshop for that matter in, in the local area philip it's been a joy and a pleasure thank you so much
0: thanks for having me on the show
1: and happy birthday to your company 50 you. years is fabulous golden jubilee so have yeah. you had a party yet not yet. Not yet. I shall wait for my invitation. Okay. <laughs> no, it, I, I hope it's going to be a fantastic celebration of all your achievements. Um, and it's been, as I say, a joy and a pleasure to have you. Thank you so very much indeed. Thank you out there for listening. It's been a pleasure to have your company as well. I'm Mimi Harker. You've been listening to Mimi Meets, and this is Wickham Sound.
0: You've been listening to a podcast from Wickham Sound. To find out more, head to wickhamsound.org.uk.